Listeners, producer Cam here. It is time to elevate your full-body grooming game with Manscaped. And guess what? They have forever changed the grooming game with their Perfect Package 3.0. And inside the Perfect Package 3.0 kit, there is a lawnmower 3.0 waterproof cordless body trimmer and a ton of other liquid formulations around your manscaping routine. And guess what? You'll also find the Manscaped Crop Preserver inside the Perfect Package. And it is an anti-chafing undercarriage deodorant and moisturizer. Because guess what? We all know how painful chafing can be. Subscribe to the Perfect Package to get a new blade refill for your lawnmower trimmer delivered to your door every three months. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. You heard that right. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the promo code THEATHLETIC20, all one word, and that's two zero for the 20. And... For limited time, subscribers get not one, but two free gifts. The Shed Travel Bag at $39 value and the patented high-performance anti-chafing Manscaped Boxer Brief. So, once again, go to manscaped.com today and use the code THEATHLETIC20. Farm on the field, people will come. And it doesn't happen. You have to look at how you're doing business. Welcome to White Sox Business, the athletics podcast about the White Sox and built around the tiny cult of personality I have cultivated over a four-year span now. Um, as a result of trying to streamline the uh, James Feagan delivery system, we have kicked John Greenberg off the podcast, uh, or he's off on vacation, one of the two. And uh, we're having a special guest with us to... Um, Basically, talk about how the White Sox are perceived from the, um, the, the, the ivory tower that is East Coast media. Uh, <laughs> a- athletic senior writer, Mark Carrig. Mark, how are you? <laughs> what an intro. I'm great. I'm great. Like, I, having grown up on the West Coast, like, you just broke my heart right there. Unbelievable. Like, you have, you have cast me into the horrible establishment East Coast media in which Yankees and Red Sox are all that matters. Um, like I don't know whether to laugh or cry right now, to be honest with you. I mean, your Mets erasure right now is really what's um, <laughs> horrifying me the most. <sighs> hey, Greenberg's really on vacation because he keeps tweeting at me. Uh, allegedly. Maybe he just ducked out. Maybe he's playing hooky. Uh, I think that's more like him. He's clearly playing hooky because, like, constant. It's constant White Sox tweets from that guy. Constant. Well, I brought you on for for multiple reasons. One is that I, I anticipated that when I texted you, you would not immediately tell me to piss off the way other uh, athletic <laughs> staff members might. But also, you seem to have expressed... Uh, uh, genuine enthusiasm for the 2020 iteration of the White Sox. And I, I, I wanted to unpack um, what on earth you might be thinking and uh, what kind of how the White Sox are perceived on a, on a national scale by, uh, again, a big time writer who um, you know, <laughs> has, has the entire baseball world at his, his fingertips. And, and, you know, the White Sox could only be blessed to, to have your attention. So I, I was curious <laughs> to get your your insights. Oh god! Um, especially after great. having watched them uh, bungle away a game on uh, primetime television last night. Yeah, man, that was Aaron Bummer's inning in the normal yeah. world, right? I mean, that's that's a, a bummer, if you will. Um, but no, it, it's 
Look, the White Sox are so much fun. I, I think it's really as simple as that. A lot of great players. They're exciting to watch. They're dynamic. Um, and they seem to be likable uh, personalities from afar. Um, like, I guess I'll start here, right? So, like, I covered the 2016 World Series. Um, and so I was in Chicago a lot, obviously. And uh, I remember there was one day I was walking. It was before one of the games. And, like, you know, there's time before games to just sort of hang out. And I'm, you know, this is back when we could do such a thing, right? So I'm hanging out in Chicago. And I'm walking down the street, and there's just Cubs stuff everywhere. And I remember thinking to myself, like, you know what a story is right now? Like, there's an actual other baseball team that plays in this city, and there isn't one single sign of him anywhere. Like, I just remember thinking, if there is a franchise in baseball that has been blotted out um, by a rival or, or a team that shares a city, it's the White Sox. And... Look, there was reason for that, right? The team wasn't very good. Um, just sort of didn't have any of the exciting players uh, and, and personalities that we see now. There really wasn't much reason to watch. And, and I remember thinking, even then, man, if I were a White Sox fan, this is torture, all right? My team stinks. Uh, the Cubs are really good. Everyone's watching him. And that's always kind of how it's been there anyway. So... Uh, where the Cubs get more attention. And, and look, having grown up in a market where there were two teams and having grown up rooting for the team that everyone ignored, I guess there's like a bias in me where I totally feel it for that fan base, right? So like in 2016, it was as if the White Sox did not exist. It was crazy. And I, so I remember just kind of walking around the city and trying to find anything that said White Sox on it, right? A sign on the street, uh, a, a poster on the wall, somebody wearing their gear. And I swear, man, there was like a day or two where I might have seen one or two, maybe, like somebody wearing a hat or, or whatever. Like it was just as if they did not exist. So I think what's fun, James, is to see like from four years ago, right, when the White Sox literally, it seemed like just did not exist at all, to now where they're this young, dynamic, fun team that even if you're not from Chicago, even if you don't have a history of rooting for them, they're must-see TV. Like I'm writing a column right now that is just basically running down, you know, who are the fun teams in baseball, who, are, who, have, been, who have been the bummers in baseball, right? Like, and to me, I, I'm not sure... There's too many teams higher than the White Sox. They're probably in the top three right now. And, and you know, what, what's fun about this job is, uh, like, the gig is to watch baseball all over the place. Like, it's so much fun. And I love the fact that the White Sox are priority viewing for me. Like, you need to watch them. I think that's how good they are. That's how much fun they are. Um, you just have to watch them play. So I was curious, like, what translates – to nationally because like every individual player all the fun players even even on like a local microscope like when they're under the microscope they have their elements to which they're divisive like tim anderson is probably i feel like most easily resonates across the country but uh, you know here they talk like there are people who grouse about his defense or that he never walks eloy Jimenez is really fun but he also just like fell into the netting the other day and you know biffed away and inside the park home run like i, I Jose Abreu is, is, is a three-time All-Star, but uh, you know there's some anxiety about how the White Sox have basically given him a lifetime contract, and I wonder how much of that any kind of like carries over or how they're perceived uh, nationally. Or who, who do you think of when you think of the fun players, or, or were any on display last night? 
So here's what's interesting about that, right? Like, I, I think, in a way, being a national baseball writer is silly because nobody watches the game like that, except for us. This is a very small group of people. I think no matter what baseball tries, uh, it is never going to escape the fact that it is a local game, that it is a regional game. And I don't think that's a bad thing. Maybe it's a bad thing business-wise, but as far as the identity of the sport itself, I think it's a great thing. And, you know, I was kind of messing around with people on Twitter last night, as I'm kind of like apt to do, right? Like, it's a national broadcast. The White Sox aren't on many of those. So there's going to be a lot of people tuning in that aren't familiar with them at all. But if you've been a White Sox fan that has been, you know, basically watching the Cubs do their thing for all this time and your team get ignored, and finally you've got all of this talent all together and it's like fun, right? Like there's a reason to watch and it's great. Then you've got these announcers on there that clearly know nothing about your team. Like, and that's not a slight necessarily on Matt Vasgersian and Alex Rodriguez and Buster Olney. I think that's every national broadcast. Like, if you've been in the trenches every day within, within you know, with your local guys on, and you happen to have good ones, by the way, right? And Bonetti and Stone. Like, if, if you don't hear those guys, yet you see your team, like, there's already a natural disconnect. And it made me think, like, you know, when we're talking about this, how does it look from a national view? It's hard to answer, because I just I think it's such an unnatural way to view the sport in a lot of ways. So uh, you know, Tim Anderson, I think that's because of what he's done already, and because of some of the the news he's made, with, you know, with with how he plays the game, and and you know, I think he carries some kind of national profile. Obviously, um, you know, I think Eloy Jimenez, like obviously, with with so much of the hype around him, Luis Robert, Luis Robert, same thing. Uh, those guys jump out to me. Um, you know, Lucas Giolito's uh, breakout, right? Like that was a, a story that I think resonated all over baseball. I think, um, you know, what they did to get uh, Yasmani Grandal resonated in baseball. Like, I mean, I know for me, when they make that move, and I want to say it was relatively early in the process, it might be actually the first, you know, big free agent deal. Yeah, like it was like, so I, I'm already watching, right? Like I, I, the White Sox to me have been intriguing for a little bit because you knew the young talent was coming up. There was already some young talent up in the, in the major leagues. So um and it, the team hadn't been good in a while. And, you know, I get that teams rebuild and they take time. But, uh, you know, I also get impatient, right? Like, just as an observer of the sport, it was almost like there were two teams, three teams really to me in this offseason where you're like, scholarship's going to be over here soon. Like, it's either, like, start winning some ball games or start finding new people to make this work. And it was Cincinnati, the White Sox, and the Padres, where you're just like, you know, all we've done is hear about, oh, they're going to be good, they're going to be good. Well, where is it? You know, where, where is it? Let, let's start, let's see some winning. And, and I think there was something, I remember, it might have been Han. I think it was Rick Han late last year is giving an interview, and he'd spent the whole time lowering expectations. And I remember thinking, like, why are you doing that? Like, if you're a White Sox fan, aren't you sick of this by now? All right, like you've been irrelevant. The team hasn't been fun to watch. And now it looks like there's some kind of hope. And, and here's the guy running baseball ops telling you not to get your hopes up. And I'm thinking to myself, this is just not right. Like, I mean, I, I'd be losing my mind if I were a fan of the team. So when they went out they, and they, they were, I mean, yeah, <laughs> like, I mean, that's what I, I feel bad for them like that. So anyway, then the Grindal signing happens. 
And and it's like, oh, okay. You know, to me, that was the signal of like, oh, good. Like, at least that was nonsense, what he was saying. Like, it's because it, 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 because if you're lowering expectations, then you have a winter where you're getting near the end and nothing's happened. Oh, my gosh. I can't even imagine what that would have felt like uh, for people that have stuck with this team through this period of irrelevance. So, um, you know, that's a long-winded answer for, I guess, Tim Anderson's pretty cool. And <laughs> Luis Robert's really cool. And I think Grendahl was, to me, the signal that these guys weren't screwing around. And and once I saw that, at least from my view, um, it was like, all right, this is appointment TV for me. Because, you know, then subsequently what, what they did the rest of the offseason, um, you know, I, I just... To me, it was like you, you have to keep your eye on these guys. And for a lot of reasons. Also, that division's really good. All right? Like, that division is really, really good. So the fact that these guys had the talent, I think, to match up with that um, just made them so intriguing on top of the fact that the individual players are just good and fun to watch and intriguing and, and interesting to see them, you know, grow, evolve, um, clearly there's, these are guys that have things to learn, right? They're so young. And I think White Sox fans see that there are things to learn. But I think that's one of the most rewarding things about sticking with a team that you follow, right? Like you, you see these guys come up and, you know, hopefully get better and, and improve on things. And um, I think that's a lot of the fun of it. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, that Han, the, the, the tone he was setting before that offseason was largely in result of how much he kind of, tried to say, like, we're serious, we're taking the next step, and we're going to be at the top of the free agent market, and they wind up chasing Manny Machado all all winter and then get shut out, and they felt like he was trying to counter-move. And so, like, well, I'm, I'm not going to do that this year and be, like, puff our chest out only to to get, uh, you know, have the Padres dunk on us yet again. And, you know, there's a feature <laughs> out on Fernando Tatis on ESPN today. And I feel like those are probably the two – biggest waves they'd made nationally the past two years was losing out on Machado and uh, giving up Tatis. So I, I was wondering if they were like gun shy about uh, putting themselves out there again after those two times. But I don't, I don't know how much those, they were associated with either one nationally. You you would be able to speak better. To yeah. That. I mean, I think there's some truth to that. And, and that just speaks to that general feeling of irrelevance. Like I, I think what, what baseball people try to do with rebuilding teams, I totally get it, okay? Like, you're just going to have to check out for a little bit if you're going to do it right, and that's just the reality of the sport. Um, I also think a lot of times it's not good for the sport. I, I think you want as many relevant teams as possible. I just think that only makes sense to have as many competitive teams as possible, especially a place like Chicago, um, a team like this, loyal fan base, you know, like, uh, and maybe I'm biased because, uh, again, like having grown up, I was an o Oakland A's fan growing up. So I just remember always feeling like no matter what happened, the Giants got more attention. It drove me crazy as a kid. I, I just, I never understood it. The A's were always more fun. Like, I mean, you know, getting back to 2016, do you remember the ESPN flap that year when the Cubs yeah. won the World Series? Several times, yes. It's, it's, it's a frequent mention. I uh, <laughs> I got accosted at a Christmas party this past winter by someone who was uh, very adamant that the 2005 World Series was a hoax and that ESPN <laughs> repeatedly forgetting it was just them slipping up on what was real and that they were just... <sighs> it, the entire thing was staged and that they never won the World 05 World Series. 
Yeah. So like that, that there you go. I mean, it, I couldn't think for a fan base that already, right, has is going to have an inferiority complex, whether they admit it or not, because of the team that plays across town, to then have this network forget that they'd won a world championship. <laughs> I mean, within their lifetimes like that. I couldn't think of something more insulting and infuriating if you're a fan of this team. Again, going off that concept of do they even exist right now in 2016 when I was walking around Chicago. And then that happened and I was like, oh, man, that is brutal. So it has been fun to watch it flip around where you have to pay attention to them. And if you like baseball, you should pay attention to them because um, it's a fun club. It's a fun club with good players and um, I think we've seen that already, or in the early going anyway. Speaking of elite baseball writers walking around Chicago, uh, we should throw it to our partners at Indochino if, uh, so they can talk about uh, men's clothing and whatnot. I guess I wanted to drop back to the experience of watching them last night, both because you poked the bear about how they were responding, Sox fans were responding to um, basically the the ESPN coverage of, look, hey, there's a team on the south side and we're discovering them for the first time. And also just as someone who has not watched them very often, what stood out uh, uh, last night? Well, you know, I think the first thing that stood out, biceps. <laughs> right? Which, I mean, which, I, which I led you to. You did. And, and then watching them glisten in the rain, by the way. But like, I, it... That's cool, right? Like, was it Jimmy Cordero? Yeah. <laughs> Biceps. <laughs> like, oh, man. That's great. Like, uh, I don't know. What stood out to me? Uh, could have used Aaron Bummer uh, last night. Um, you know, another thing. Uh, Nick well, Madrigal. Yeah, half the pitching staff is, is, is hurt in some way. And, you know, Nick Madrigal's uh, arm popped out of his socket, which is, uh, you know, not ideal. Not fun. Not fun. And there was a spot where it's like, oh, man, he should be hitting here. Um, you know, Lucas Giolito, like, love the story. So that's fun. Just watching him do his thing. And, and um, you know, the Keuchel interview was fun. Yeah, I know White Sox fans are not going to like that because it's a positive compliment. It's a compliment to the broadcast, which they hated. But um, I thought that was a nice little touch. Um, you know, like, yeah, it's. I think watching Robert play is always a treat, you know? Like, uh, I just, I can't get enough of that. Like, whenever I have the opportunity, you want to see, like, what this guy does. I, I mean, uh, God, they're all so young. <laughs> they're so, all so young. Like, that just it blows my mind. How did the Giolito story kind of translate nationally? Because, obviously, he was, like, a big thing as a prospect, but... He kind of has – he's basically the worst pitcher in baseball in 2018. And, you know, wasn't that good in the minors in 2017 either, but I wonder if he just kind of disappears two years and then when he comes back and he's good again, everyone's like, oh, yeah, I remember that guy. And not – there's not this period of, like, contemplating he that he stinks. You just kind of stop thinking about him altogether. Or is, is was nationally there any awareness of the fact that Luis Robert was basically hurt for all of 2018? Like, he – as ridiculously powerful as he is, he didn't like hit a home run in the minor leagues for all of 2018 because his thumb was jacked up. But mm. I wonder if it was just like, oh, yeah, I remember we got signed. Oh, and now he's here. That makes sense. And I don't know if it, nationally these guys kind of like 
their weird kind of journeys and all the anxiety they expired in the meantime, um, you know, resonated. So, you know, I like it's tough. Like maybe I don't I don't know if I view this the same way as a lot of other people, but when it comes to guys that are prospects, um, you know, you hear the names that you kind of hear, right? Because they were included in a, in a big trade like in Giolito. Um, and, and so that's your first exposure to it. Or if, if there's like a, a big splash signing or whatever. Um, but like, do I, I personally do not spend a bunch of time contemplating what they're doing in the minor leagues. Um, like every now and again, I like to check. Like if, if there's a reason to like, you hear the name, check it out. Oh, okay, here's what's going on with that guy. So Giolito being bad. All right. I think that was sort of an inescapable thing. You hear that name so often, and then now the guy is pitching and getting lit up. Like you, you're gonna know that that's going on. Um, now, is it something that is like front of mind? No, because the team wasn't front of mind. You know what I mean? Like it's not like Giolito was struggling on a team that had expectations. That wasn't the case at all, right? Like he was a guy that was young and is going through the paces of pitching in the major leagues for a team that no one really was paying attention to. Like that happens, you know? Like so um, for me anyway, it wasn't front of mind at all. Um, I think what was interesting though is with that context, when you started to see him string together some outings uh, and, and watch the way he would do it, like you see the box scores and you're just like, huh, that's interesting. Let's make it a point to watch it. Um, and then you watch it, and you're like, huh, that's pretty cool. And then it continues. Um, that's how it ends up, you know, for me. Like, it, it is impossible to pay close attention to every team in baseball. Like, And, and if someone, like, I'm sure other guys can do it that do this job and, and more power to them, but I certainly haven't figured out how to do that. Like, I mean, I'd be lying to you if I told you that. So... What 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 the fun is though is sort of like, okay, what's gonna catch my attention? Let's stick with that, you know. Like that's the closest that I've come up with. Is just sort of almost like when I was a kid, to be honest. Like just watching baseball. Like I always fixated on the teams that I care about, cared about. But um, I also would just sort of let myself get caught up if like I got interested in the team. There was always like that other team that I was like. Uh, kind of keeping an eye on it. It felt like cheating, you know, like the, like this is the club I watch and then here's the one that like I'm kind of, you know, keeping an eye on. And the White Sox are on that, have been on that list for me, even since I think late last year, middle last year. Um, Padres the same way. Um, I think there's like a lot of commonality there. Another club, again, that, um, you know, you've been waiting a while for them to get relevant. Uh, now that they have, it is a lot of fun to see. And again, young, talented dynamic players just like the White Sox so um no like for, so from a national level like for me anyway it, it's you know I, I wasn't sitting there sweating that Robert was, was banged up or whatever you know but then once he started playing again and then you hear all the buzz because he's you know I think he's hitting for power now it's like all right you, you kind of have to pay attention and then obviously with the moves they made to keep him around long term um, you know, now it's like, yeah, this, you have to see what this guy's all about. And, and thus far, um, you know, justified, right? Like it, it is must see TV to me, like the White Sox are must see TV right now. And, um, I, I suspect they will be the rest of the season. What is your impression of Rick Renneria? Because I feel like the most <laughs> nationally relevant thing he's ever done has been get pushed out for Joe Madden. Yeah. Um, that's. 
Exactly right. Like that, because that whole scenario was so messed up, right? Like you have, you don't even have to know anything about it um, to know or to understand. Like, man, that's a that's a tough break for a dude that that earned a crack at this job. Like, I mean, there's there's only thirty teams. Only so many people get to manage a major league club, and so when he gets bumped out because Theo's bringing in a guy that he's got history with. Um, you know, if you're Rick Renteria, there's no guarantee that you get to do this again, right? Like, there's right. no no one's going to promise you that you get to manage a major league team again. A, a job that's already impossible or very, very hard to get, you get it, right? You've put your, your, your time in, as he did, and he gets a job, and through no fault of his own, it is no longer his job. Um, so... I think it's neat that he's he got another shot at it just at all, right? And then also cool that the White Sox have stuck with him to the point where, hey, you know what? Now the team's good. Like, you know, look, there's going to be guys in baseball, managers in baseball, that get labeled as transitional managers. Um, and where you look at him and the team's not very good, but they've got talent coming. And the perception is that guy's going to be there until they are good. And then you bring somebody else in. Um, and I covered one, you know, Terry Collins with the Mets was that guy when he got hired with the Mets, um, you know, team was sort of in this place where they were starting to take it apart and try to ramp up to get into a different window. And you figured once that happened, they were probably going to have a different guy in the chair. Well, he ends up there, I think seven years, um, won a pennant with them. And so having been around that, I, I just always thought that was the coolest thing is that he had a chance to sort of you know, see the benefit of all of that toil when when it wasn't a lot of fun, when, you know, you're watching a bunch of young players make a lot of mistakes and losing ball games, which is what happened. Um, you know, Terry got to see it through. So seeing Rick get to see it through, I think is cool, you know? And um, and I, I've, I've seen some of the banter that you guys have had. Um, I think that's a lot of fun. Like, I, you know, I think... That's an underrated part of covering the sport every day is, you know, a manager talks to us on a beat twice a day, every day from the middle of February until, you know, if you've done what you're supposed to do or you want to do until the end of October. I mean, virtually every day, twice a day. That's a lot. So I think... One of the things that's fun is is you, you sort of establish a rapport with that person, which you guys clearly have. Um, and so I, I think you get to get a much better sense of who that person is, too, if you're around every day. So like seeing that made me think, man, this, this is someone who I'd enjoy being in that setting with. And look, and that's different from, oh, he's a great quote. <laughs> okay, like that's... That's not what I'm saying at all. There's some managers, they're like a gumball machine. You put a quarter in, turn the knob, and here's your quote. All right? They Rick had is one not of those that. For a while. <laughs> <laughs> so they're not all like that, though, right? So, um, and, but that's not what I'm talking about, man. Like, yeah, that's nice too, but I think it's more like uh, being around someone where you appreciate them a little more because you are around all the time, because you are talking all the time. And that it might not be evident immediately, but then you realize that that person has some depth to them. And maybe that there's a little more there than, than meets the eye 
up front. And I don't know, like, I don't know Rick at all, but having seen some of the interactions, like, that is like my impression is that this is the kind of guy that if you're around him a lot, um, you start to appreciate a little bit more because you realize that there's a lot more there than meets the eye. So my final question or talking point is a total <laughs> curveball. Uh, oh, no. We talk about how likable this team is, uh, you know, nationally. This is a team that when healthy, you know, they made a little bit of news the other day because they, they were the first team ever to have like four Cuban-born players at the top of their lineup. Mm-hmm. And then behind that with Eloy Menez and, and Omar Mazzara, you have, the, you know, a lot of Dominican guys in this team. And you have Tim Anderson is obviously the biggest face. This is a team that's lineup is very conspicuously light on white Americans. And so the idea of them being, uh, you know, this is a team that could throw out like eight regulars who are either, you know, African-American or Dominican or Cuban. So the idea of them being a fun, exciting team uh, nationally, especially when they don't have this like very, you know, baseball is probably the whitest of the three major sports or one of the whitest. So they could definitely give football a run for the money. Is that unique to have a team that's popularity is uh, kind of writing on these, you know, non-white figures, uh, you know, in a sport that can that can definitely lean that way? Does that stick out to you at all? Yeah, I mean, it did. Because uh, getting back to Tim Anderson, right? Um, uh, look, I feel like Tim Anderson should be someone that everybody knows, okay? And what's crazy to me is that um, you know, there's been quote unquote controversy around the guy, which I think, uh, you know, I, I think that's unfortunate. I think it, it, it takes away from appreciating a great ball player. And what is the controversy really that, you know, he, he doesn't adhere to this stupid arbitrary set of rules about the right way to play the game. Like get the hell out of here. Like I'm, I'm so sick of hearing that phrase, like the right way to play the game is to play your ass off and win. Okay. As far as I can tell, that guy plays his ass off. And right now, despite all these injuries, these guys are hanging in there. They're winning. So I, I don't know how you can rip anything having to do with Tim Anderson. Okay? Like, I, I mean, it's a good ball player that plays his ass off. Period. End of story. And I don't know, watching these guys, um, <laughs> like you, when you bring up the composition of the team, right, what we're really talking about are these horrible stereotypes. Okay? About... Um, you know, I'm sure like it's already happened, right? Like you describe the teams, oh, they're, they're real athletic. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. they're right. Like they're flashy and whatever. And like, I, I don't know. I, when I look at him, like, I think they look like they know what they're doing. I think Rick has them prepared. All right. Like, I, I mean, I look like they, they look like a team to me that is ready to play. Um, they look like a team to me that is going to get smarter as they go and they get older. They look like a team to me that already has some leadership in that room. Okay, like Edwin Encar- Encarnacion is a professional hitter, and um, I think that's huge to have. I know he's banged up, but you know that is a having presence like that, c- considering the age of the guys in that room, is a big deal. So. You know, I think that's a really fascinating question, James. And you weren't kidding. That is a curveball. Um, <laughs> you know, because like, you know, what stands out to me is like, uh, you know, a team like this, if they're going to be packaged as nationally appealing, is that you need that talker. Okay. Like there's used to be someone in the press box told me this years ago. And it is, is a, it's funny. I actually think of it now. It's like they need a guy 
Like teams like that that are going to like get national appeal or mass appeal. His term was they need a talker who's bright, white, and polite. <laughs> and I remember thinking, oh my God, that's awful. Like, well, yet when you think about There's it, there's a truth to it. Yeah, that's what I mean. And like, you know, and so I, that doesn't happen necessarily with the White Sox, right? Like, there isn't a prominent player. Um, unless I'm, I mean, you can't look at the pitching, I guess, but like, Giolito um, does his best in that role. I would yes. Say. Yeah. And, and, um, but like, it, it, not an everyday guy. Right. So I don't, that's a good question, man. Like I, I, I would hope that people aren't like viewing it from that lens and are instead seeing this great team, but also acknowledge that. Right. Like, I mean, you know, who actually stands out to me when you, when you, when you phrase it that way, like good team like remember the pirates back in the day like old school pirates yeah that's like, who i was thinking of yeah. willie stargell dave parker manny sanguian like that group right like the the late 70s we are family bunch i guess like that you know maybe that's the comp and i don't know when you look back like i think that team gets lionized now um you know and i would imagine and i haven't looked at it at all i'm sure that was a different view in real time Okay, I'm sure there was all sorts of stuff about, um, you know, like stereotypes that got thrown in the coverage and and how they were perceived initially. But I'm sure coverage of Doc Ellis was very, uh, you know, empathetic. <laughs> right, right. So, like, you know, but now I feel like that's clearly changed. I, I, I mean, my sense is that that team is is perceived as just a great team with these like personalities and and it's it's like a cool vibe to think about it and but yeah that's the comp that comes initially to me um but you know what like i i think it's good for the sport to have a club like this be do well and be relevant um because like you know what i think of often right like what people are like why why does diversity in the sport matter i think well on like the most obvious thing to me is like, what about all those kids that like this game, that watch this game, that want to play this game? I think it's hugely important to turn the TV on and watch guys that look like you performing the way that these guys do. Okay. So I know Tim Anderson, um, one of the things I'm fascinated by is that he's embraced that, right? I mean, he's really thrown his arms around this concept. Like it, it, we're talking about African-Americans in baseball, the, the, the percentages, we all know that they're super low what, compared to what they used to be. Um, and, and to me, that's unfortunate because I think about a lot of great players that we might be missing out on because for a long time, they've turned the TV on and guess what? They haven't seen anybody that looks like them, that acts like them, that talks like them, that thinks like them playing this sport. So the more of that, the better. Okay. Um, and so I think that is really um, the coolest takeaway from the composition of this team is that uh, they're watchable, they're likable, and they're lo they look like guys and they come from places that have been, you know, uh, not as representative as it probably should be in this sport. And I think that's a great thing. Well, you heard it from. Big city elitist media first. <laughs> the White Sox are good for baseball. Oh, I, I wear Indochina, and this is what you say? Like, that's, <laughs> that's, that's really taking a lot out of, like, you know, the fact that I like a decent tie, James. A, a humble man in his Indochinos uh, thinks the White Sox are good <laughs> for baseball. Mark, thank you for, for joining us. Um, I don't want to 
keep you any longer than we already have, but I really appreciate your time and uh, being a better John Greenberg than John Greenberg could ever hope to be. Well, this uh, I got to get cleaned up around this ivory tower does not clean itself, James. But but thank you for uh, having me on. Uh, really and truly, man, what a fun team! I'm jealous that you get to see them every day. Um, so I think they're they're going to do some really cool things here very shortly. Well, hopefully, it involves being over 500 at some point, but before the heat <laughs> death of the universe, they'll get there. I, I I'm all in on the pale hose, James. Put that on your tombstone. Thank <laughs> you.